What's up, guys? Josh here from the Rising Action Podcast. In this week's episode, Grayson and I talk about one of our favorite Hollywood directors and perhaps one of the greatest to ever exist, Christopher Nolan. We dive into his filmography with Tenet's release on the horizon coming soon, and we also kind of explain how Interstellar is a bit of an anomaly. We do have some minor technical difficulties toward the end of the episode, so it does end a little bit abruptly, but you won't miss anything, so it's nothing to worry about. All of that and more is coming up next, but now I'm going to shut up and get into it with Grayson. Rising action. Rising action. Be good to go. I believe so. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising Action Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rising Action Podcast. I am one of your hosts. I am Josh Johnson, and over there is Grayson Schrader. How you doing, Hello. Buddy? I'm back. I'm doing great. Yeah, you uh, you missed an episode. We we brought in Seth to fill in slash take your place and yeah. you know kick you out the show, and then mm-hmm. now you uh, you superseded him. You came back. Uh, I don't know if it's justified because that ended up being one of our better episodes in terms of uh, listeners. So I may I may just get replaced. Who knows? Big thanks to everybody who tu- tuned into that episode. That one, like Grayson said, it was one of it was it's the most listened to episode we've released so far. Yeah, which is kind of insane. Technically, uh, technically, I was in the episode. Technically, you were in the episode. You had a nine minute segment, which was yes. absolutely fire. By the way, oh, thank you. I enjoyed that. We did not talk about. I remember there was a, a point where I think you said something like we were going to talk about Jurassic Park. He's like, I know, oh, I'm sure I they'll was, talk about it. And I then was we shocked never you guys did not talk about Jurassic Park. I know that's it, crazy. If we're going to revisit it, Jurassic Park needs to be in there. It's an yeah. honorable mention, but I think we ended up talking about like I ten think, or twelve movies, and it was so long. I think uh, Lord of the Rings ended up overriding it because of like the yeah. special effects and and um. And kind of what that did, but I mean, Jurassic Park was was monumental. But anyway, that's besides the point. You should definitely go listen to that episode if you haven't already. It was a good one. Josh and Seth uh, absolutely killed it. But also, in the meantime, you and I were on uh, or on my, my uh, well, you're still you're part of it in spirit as well. But uh, we, we, you hopped on over to Comic Blast. I did. I joined you, Cole, Keenan. Got the whole crew together for an episode yeah. of Comic Blast. We talked about the Bad Batch yeah. being announced uh, by Lucasfilm. Yeah. And then also a, a small little project by the Russo, Russo brothers. Yeah. I think they're calling it the Gray Man. Yes. Yeah. Super exciting stuff. Chris Evans. Yeah. If you want to hear our thoughts on that stuff, you can go over there. Um, that was a really fun episode to actually record. It was just like, it was just like four bros just like talking about nerdy stuff that we're excited yeah, about it's good stuff and uh man keenan put out a, this clip today um which you can find at, at comic blast underscore on both twitter and instagram um shameless plug and there was a clip about the that about the quentin beck tobias beckett mix up that was that was pretty that, rough it was big brain was, fart that was quite funny i remember i, was, I completely <laughs> forgot about that part so when he was like i'm posting this clip i was like what part is so funny and then i listened to it i was like oh my god yes my idiocy yeah yeah but um but yeah it was it was great and you'll you can definitely expect to see josh uh with with all of us over there um in the future as well um it's kind of a bit of a, a cross promotion and and maybe we'll get some some people from over there on here at some point as well 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun to kind of like branch out a little bit. Comic Blast is kind of like your one-stop shop for nerd news information. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit, a little bit different, um, but it's a lot of fun. Guys over there, a lot of fun to listen to. I've been listening to them personally uh, for about eight months before we started Rising Action, so it was pretty cool to actually be on there. Yeah, as a guest host, that was pretty wild. Yeah, I think I informed you about it when when we kind of started becoming friends in back in the fall. Um, the best way I can describe Comic Blast, and I just came up with this on the spot, um, it is a very entertaining podcast about entertainment. <laughs> yes, <That's, laughs> that that's, is one hundred percent. Yeah, that's you're going to get the news. You're going to get our thoughts on the news in a very entertaining method. Uh, For sure. But we guarantee I like I can almost guarantee you will laugh. Um, and if you don't, you're soulless. And uh, and yeah, it's fine. Screw you. Just kidding. Please listen. <laughs> <laughs> so some quick housekeeping items before we hop into this week's episode. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at rising action underscore. Uh, please, you know, interact with us there where we post some things. Grayson is about to get back on Instagram soon. He just doesn't know it yet. And, uh, and then he can be, you can be flooding his DMS with your, you know, movie and and book opinions. Yeah. Uh, I know that's a lot of fun when we have people interacting (laughs) with us in the comment section of our posts. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Josh Johnson, two ends, 98. And on Twitter and Letterboxd at Josh underscore J98. Where can they find you, Grayson? They can find me at Schradster8 at both Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. So not both, but at everywhere. Uh, Throth. Is that, a, I don't know. I just made nope, it. No, that's not a thing. Uh, well. uh, also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Insta- Spotify. Goodness. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, not on Instagram, and uh, you know wherever else you get your podcast, it means a lot to us, and it helps other people find the show. It helps gain some traction. It's a pretty big deal. We appreciate all of you. I'll give you an air hug because uh, I can't give you a real one because of COVID. Yes. Uh, but I'll give you an air hug and a high five and a personal thank you and a yeah. firm handshake when all this is over. He, he's gonna he's gonna find you and give you a handshake. <laughs> So this week, we've got an episode I'm personally super excited about. It's also one that I think everybody has seen coming for a while now. Uh, The both of us are extreme fans of this director we're about to talk about. In fact, when we did our first uh, Storyteller episode on Denis Villeneuve, it it kind of felt a little weird because I knew we both wanted to talk about this director we're about to do, but uh, we're, we're just now coming to it. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about some Christopher Nolan. We're going oh, to get yeah. it out of our system uh, so that we can move on to some other cool things. But Christopher Nolan is my favorite director. He's in your top five, I know, for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think he's probably one of the most consistently great directors maybe Has ever. the man made a bad movie? No. I cannot think of one. No. Has. Maybe I his mean, first one is kind of a clunker, but you know he was in college when he made it, so... Oh yeah, and that's like what that. that's like that's like almost like a short film rather than a movie. It's feature length. Is it? Yeah, the following is feature length, but it's kind of reason a, I thought the following yeah. was like fifty minutes or something like that. But uh it's feature so, length. So um so yeah, since since we're both I I say I feel like, oh, we're such big Nolan fans, but we haven't seen all of his stuff, and that's purely because 
just the fact that like it's not all of his stuff is on streaming services or whatnot. And some of the, his older movies are actually kind of hard to get a hold of in terms of like physical yeah. copies. Um, right before this, you were trying to get a copy of Insomnia, which is a I movie did, you didn't fact, even know existed. Yeah, I did in fact order. I kind of had a, I like sort of knew it existed, but not really. I for some reason just kind of like skipped over it memory. in my mind. Yeah, like, it, like it never really is talked about. Um, and I really thought that before Memento, he just like, I really thought Memento was his first like real feature. I mean, I know the following was a feature, but you know, right. It was a college thing. So I really thought Memento was his first real feature and it is yeah. not insomnia. So I ordered it and, uh, hopefully it'll be here in a couple of days and I can watch it. But dude, it sounds incredible. Uh, sounds super my, good. I literally, I, I didn't really know about it. I, I had, no, I heard the name, um, and for some reason, I thought Insomnia was before Memento. It's, it is not. It was uh, two years after, I believe. Um, but my friend at work told me Nolan is also his favorite director, so I'm sure he'll be listening to this episode. Uh, what's up, man? And um, and he told me about it, and I was like, he's like, yeah, it has Al Pacino and Robin Williams. And I was like, what? That's yeah. nuts. Um, very cool premise, and it's like really highly rated. So I'm curious on your thoughts on it. So um, we can't really put our input on that film. Uh, quite yet, but clearly it's uh, it's quite beloved. Yeah, so we can't really talk about that. We can say we're really excited for it. I will watch it the, the very day I get it. Um, but in the meantime, and you know, because we don't have it, we'll just launch into the rest of them. And yeah. I've seen all of them except Insomnia, and I haven't finished Memento. Yeah. So the rest of them... We can talk about, um, have you seen the following? Nope. Okay. I've seen about three quarters of it and it's really good for a student film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was released in, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think 1998 or something like that. Probably around there. Yeah. Yeah. It was around the turn of the century. Um, and I think if I remember right, the basic premise, it's about a guy who is, uh, is he a stalker? I think people think he's a stalker and he's not really a stalker or maybe he is. He, I think he might actually be like a, a stalker. He stalks a, a woman and it's just kind of like about this weird cat and mouse game of him, like stalking her and her figuring out about it. And it's bizarre. Um, but I know he made it on the weekends with his friends in when he was in university in England. And um, it was actually, I think on that project that he met his now wife because they kind of like tag teamed on that project. And he just kind of had some camera gear that he loaned out from the university Mm -hmm. and he would just go out with his friends on the weekends when they had time. And I think he finished it, finished shooting in about a year. Um, And then he scrounged up all the money he could. And he, I think won a couple of awards at a couple of festivals. He got a, he got it, um, I think it was distributed by, shoot, I don't even remember. It was distributed by, uh, by a tiny little production company and, you know, didn't make a whole lot of money. But right. uh, in terms of a, a first release, I don't know if it's like the textbook way to do it. I think some other directors have had more resounding first releases. Um, but it was also kind of like he didn't do the whole traditional, you know, uh, uh, work under somebody else, do the whole like camera, uh, camera department and then AD and, you know, 
he didn't do all that stuff. He just kind of went straight into directing, making movies, doing his own original movies. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people considered it a success. Um, it's a pretty cool movie. Again, it's kind of odd. Like you can tell it's a student film. It's not exactly yeah. the most crazy thing you've ever seen. But straight out of that, he started making movies that were insane. Like, oh, yeah. Ever the since next- the following, and I cannot say this about Insomnia because I haven't seen it. But I do know that a lot of people think it's really good. I think Chris Stuckman said it's the most underrated Nolan movie. So, I don't know. Sounds like it. It sounds like it's at least good. So then you can kind of say, yeah, no no Nolan movie is bad, which is impressive. And they're all very... I think they do this great job of being like bigger budgeted movies, especially in more recent memory, and also being... right almost entirely original um which is very rare in hollywood um clearly with his um his newest movie which is as of today delayed indefinitely that being tenant (sighs) my heart aches that came out today that it's delayed indefinitely yes oh my god dude i was talking to somebody yesterday no not yesterday two days ago about how excited i was that Tenet was coming out and we both were just kind of like bonding over the fact that we were going to go see it in theaters. He was like, dude, let's go see it when it comes out. I was like, absolutely. Let's do it. Um, Yikes. Hurts my soul. I know it. I know he wants it to be the first movie that comes out post COVID to kind of like kickstart the theater industry again. And you know, it's going to come out in theaters, but I think the studios have to, they got to play the long game and kind of be like, we got to make some money yeah. back. Yeah, the biggest thing is they don't want the movie to come out too early and then people, a, a, a mass spike worldwide in COVID, and then they will ultimately get the blowback because, um, you know, basically theaters and production companies both have to be in agreement to be willing to open up these places. And until numbers start going down, they won't do that. So it's a safe choice. And ultimately I want everyone to experience um, these movies that we haven't been getting. Um, And I really don't want Tenet to be something that comes out. uh, It it could, it it was supposed to come out three days ago. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was uh, July 17th. That's insane. Yeah. Um, I would have already seen Tenet twice by now. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, oh, yeah, dude. Heck yeah. I would have lost sleep over that movie because I was right. like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see this th- in theaters after I get off work and getting only like five hours of sleep and I'll probably go see it again after work. Like, right. Um, like but yeah. the, the concept of a new Nolan movie released in theaters is not something I've been ex- been able to experience a bunch. I'm 22. So um, I was not into movies or anything like that. Um when Interstellar came out. And yeah, so let's see, I saw The Dark Knight Rises in theaters opening night. Same. And I saw Dunkirk second weekend. And I saw that in 70 millimeter, I think. So that was oh, it. Nice. I've seen two Nolan movies in the theater. And I, I hate and to say it, I think the only one I've ever seen in theaters is, is The Dark Knight Rises. Which is... which. Is ultimately it was not my choice. I would have yeah. seen the entire Dark Knight trilogy in theaters, um, but at the time, 
Batman Begins. So let's backtrack before I get it. Um, I'll just say that Batman Begins when it came out in 2005. I was still too young for that movie. And, right. Same here. And, and so like they, my parents were like, "Hey, a little scary. We're not gonna." Put, and then same thing with the Dark Knight. Like the Dark Knight amped it up even crazier. Like yeah, I'm like oh, I was yeah, ten I years I old when the Dark Knight came out. Yeah, I w- I was uh, I think I was about to turn nine. Um. So, because it was in like July of 2008, that's crazy. Um, which was a cra- like some man. But I remember my dad being like, "Oh, that was a good movie." Yeah, uh, that's one of those movies that just he re- he rewatches over and over again, and so do we <laughs> because it's highly yeah. I've seen it close to 30 times now. Oh, I've ha- yeah, I've had to see it seen it at least like 20, 25 times. I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's just an unforgettable movie. But let's backtrack a little bit. Um, yeah, so you so following very interesting student film, but then the yep. next movie up is is Memento, correct? Um, which and this is before we really dive into this, I want to say this is kind of like the first like you can watch this movie and this is symptomatic of future Nolan movies because it introduces nonlinear storytelling. Non-linear, which is, that's what yes, I was going to say, which is Nolan's almost calling card. Um, right, I was going to say that, and you don't think about it. Yeah. Until I was watching this where I'm like, this is very, like, it is, like, I'm so, to be fair, I started watching this movie this morning and I had to go to work and I tried to finish it before recording this, but ultimately with time constraints, I could not. So I'm about halfway through the movie right now. I'm loving it so far. But I, the thing that I noticed, I was like, the, the story is almost told entirely backwards. Yeah. And you're, it's like you're getting the ending and then the pieces are like, are unfolding in literally in the opposite direction so you're getting the full story it's crazy it's bold but it's i i'm i'm loving it and you can see this trend a lot in his future movies um sometimes not as much but i what i was going to say with that whole concept is i was like wow he literally took that concept and put it in a literal fashion with tenants right Tenet was like he was like okay instead of it being non-linear storytelling what if the actual timeline was non-linear like what if they're going through but the events that like the action set pieces are actually going backwards i was like yes did this man just take his like calling card and put it into a physical format in his movie right. like i wish like i god man is i wish it would be like we could have already seen it and be talking about it right now i know because um, i'm sure it would be blowing our minds even more but that whole fact of like that he took that and pretty much like like turned it into a actual component of the events of the plot is incredibly unique and that's what i'm saying is like another thing is like like that's what i said is nolan he creates very unique films that are almost not done before with the exception being the the dark knight trilogy but even then that's even then it's really been done before yeah it's it's never been done before and it will never be done that way again yeah yeah i have to agree um, but yeah, Memento is, it's, uh, definitely got that early 2000s vibe to it, but I mean, it's got a, so far it's got a crazy good cast. Um, Guy Pierce, dude, that dude's a good actor. Guy Pierce is a great actor. Have you ever seen the movie? Um, oh man, it's one where he like time travels. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really good movie. Um, so it's I like, I have. like, it's set in like the 1800s, and uh, I'm not going to try to deviate from this too much, but set in the 1800s, his wife gets hit by a car. He creates a time machine that, so that he can inevitably like, um, 
like so he can save her and every single time right. it fails and he has to go further and further back in time because he keeps on messing up stuff yeah and then inevitably he ends up going into like or because of like the time travel stuff he ends up going has to go into the future um because it's like derails these whole events of things i have not and seen that i remember i saw like a, it was on our dvd shelf um and i remember i watched that and i was like whoa this guy pierce guy is really good like I don't know what's up with him and dead wives though, because that's also another thing in a memento. Is that <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man, Guy Pierce. I play characters with uh, dead wives. Um, the time watched, machine, literally, just called the time, time machine. machine. Okay, okay, makes sense. Yeah. I uh, I watched a Nolan uh, a video where he kind of like gets on a chalkboard and just explains the nonlinear storytelling of Memento, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting because it's like a closed loop, um, and obviously, you know, you don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil how it ends for you but um, the story is very interesting because most stories uh, just to kind of like explain uh, if you don't know what nonlinear storytelling is it's kind yeah. of in the name but essentially it's just most stories have a starting point and an end point and it's usually like that journey to go from the start point to the end point is very much like a straight line like you just follow a series of events that take you from one place to another and it just kind of happens in a very normal linear way what non-linear storytelling is is it brings you fragments of the story at different points so maybe you start at the end like with memento or maybe you start three quarters in or I have maybe a, you start a quarter in and you I have just a good analogy of place. this yeah so linear storytelling would straight up be from if you say it's the alphabet you're going from a to z yeah with memento's case you're literally going like z like you start at z and then you go like you're going backwards like you're hopping to this one point like all like you're going from z to a to y to b like you're kind of like going right. back you're going in back between and forth, that and, and, and so it's kind of like piecing it and filling in the middle right um and he does that a lot of times so a lot of nor- like a lot of his movies will end up being like they won't start straight up at the ending per se, but they'll start. It starts like, in varying degrees of it. Yes, it's not always like like Memento is an extreme example of it. It's very, extreme. but he does it in smaller doses with other movies. He does that in in Dunkirk a little bit, where you just get like little snippets. Um, he also does that in The Prestige a little bit. Inception, actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, Inception towards the very like starts towards the very end, and then it's like okay what's happening right. and then it, and then it literally goes yeah so it kind of like it starts at like the, the letter like um it starts at like i don't know uh v right it does <laughs> like a it, cold open almost and then it goes yes. back in time and fills you in on what just happened right yeah um, it also does that um does he do it, it in uh dark knight rises a little bit or am um, i tripping a little am i Dark Knight Rises, no, not really. There are points where they they give some exposition in terms of flashbacks, but for the most yeah. part, that's a pretty linear story. Yeah, I would I think say he the, did that out a lot of the dark, with the whole trilogy. I'd say the biggest one that happens in the trilogy in terms of nonlinear storytelling is probably Batman Begins. Yeah, because you're seeing it starts off with him, you know, um, going to um, or he he starts off in in the Chinese prison, and you're like right what yep and then then he goes on this journey 
And then we see what happens before that. We see what happens in Gotham and we get him his exposition of like, oh, him falling and then being with his kids and then his, his origin. Right. Um, and then him trying to kill the uh, the guy who, who killed his uh, Joe Chill, the guy who killed his um, his parents. And then we get to that training scene and then like it kind of goes back. So, and, and it's like a really unique way because you're kind of like you're kind of confused. But then it's like it, it slowly clicks into place. You're like, oh, yeah. OK, I like this. And it's a very um, I'm trying to think of the word that like I'm thinking of. But it's I guess it serves the plot in a very specific way. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't just do it, not like just just for the sake of doing it it's like he's not he doesn't do it to just be like haha i'm gonna like confuse my audience like he does it to serve a purpose like in right. terms of like i guarantee in his screen like his screenplay that he writes it's it's laid out like that it's not like he yep. writes it linearly and then it's like well, let me put this here you know right um it's um it serves the story in a very critical and powerful way i would say right yeah i think the best examples or perhaps the most extreme are uh, Memento. Also, Dunkirk is very nonlinear, and you yes. don't realize it until probably second viewing how nonlinear it is. It's all over the place. Um, also, Interstellar has uh, some pretty like it's not nonlinear um, in the sense that the other two are, but it leaves kind of gaps in the story that it then goes back in later and fills in. Yeah, I'm a little rusty on Interstellar, so I can't exactly remember. Yeah, it's kind of biggest... it's not like it's not like the story. Um, well, I mean, it, the whole concept of Interstellar is like time is very different. Yeah, um, and so man, he there's loves events. Some time, <laughs> right? There's he does that a lot. Time, memory, dreams. Anyway, yeah, he jumps, uh, not jumps. He he has events that take place early on in the film where it seemed like it's 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 tied to the whole bookcase and him leaving Mm -hmm. and you know that stuff but um at the time it's it's not like there's an obvious gap in the story but there are some question marks and then it's not until later you realize oh that's a massive gap that he comes back in and fills plus also the cold open of the movie is from the end so it's it's all the rewatch interstellar it's I'm they like, turn, I'm struggling. I'm like, uh, yeah. What's really I funny forgot is, that Matt Damon was in that movie. So oh, yeah. that's, I was like, when I remember they were like Matt Damon, like being, being a jerk, I was like, what? <gasps> Matt Damon was in that movie. <laughs> I always confuse it with the Martian. Yes. Cause yeah. it's like the same thing. Yeah. They both, dude, both of them have six spacesuits. by the way. Just letting you know, dope it's space funny. suits. The, the cold open of interstellar is, I didn't realize this probably like the first two times I saw it, but the cold open is, um, like farmers, they're they're recorded and they turn Cooper's house into a museum. And um, there's like little video clips in each room of farmers explaining what happened before they all went to space. Uh, kind of like what you would see in a normal museum. They just recorded people and it's on a screen and it just kind of loops. And yeah. they play these recordings at the very beginning, explaining, giving you exposition about the setting and why things are the way they are, which by the way is super brilliant to put like a practical use for your exposition into the, the setting of the story. Super cool. But you don't realize that is what it is until the end of the movie when they've all gone to space and they rebuilt Cooper's house the exact same way as it was beforehand. And then you realize they turned it into a museum and all that stuff 
because they show people walking through his house as a museum mm-hmm. and it's like oh my god all these people like you see the same people that were doing the cold open yeah super cool man i don't forget i forgot about that entirely yeah i'll have to i'll have to go back and rewatch that but that that's a that's definitely a big uh non-linear one for sure then yeah um inception uh actually you know what let's i feel like we should need to go back and like and instead of jumping the gun because we're like yeah let's go back to uh i want to talk more about like his legacy and whatnot as a director and like kind of how he started off as this smaller guy he created two movies that were huge with that being with or like i would say huge but very very well received um and and uh loved by the film community Mm -hmm. to immediately going to batman begins yep like this man he went from he's like student film two uh great but smaller films to the arguably one of the greatest superheroes of all time could be the greatest depending on your perspective um yeah. and he was like yeah he, he just did that yeah you almost um, forget that batman begins was before prestige before inception before interstellar like it was the following memento insomniac batman insomnia insomnia, insomnia sorry not insomniac yeah, yeah. yeah. um it was his fourth movie. His fourth, yeah. uh, like, and if you want to get specific, like, in terms of him being like as a full fledged director, technically, like his third, because the following, right. like, he wasn't like it was more of a passion project. But it's that doesn't take away from it being a movie, or a like a legit movie. Um, but yeah, man, like, it's DC had extreme faith in him. That's yeah, uh, and you could tell the direction they wanted to go though, because like both. Um, the, all of his movies beforehand were very dark. That, that's one yep. thing that it's is Christopher Nolan. He makes, I wouldn't say incredibly dark movies, but they're definitely not on the light side. <laughs> they're darker th- uh, thematically, thematically, but in yes. terms of like content, they're extremely clean. Yeah. Which is always really nice. It, well, before Batman. Yeah, yeah. Before Batman, not so much. But I was about to say, because post- Memento and all that, they're definitely yeah. rated R. Yeah, but um, every film after 2005 has been PG-13, which mm-hmm. I find really interesting because a lot of other directors, you know, like Denis Villeneuve, for example, you know, how many of his films are PG-13? Not many of them. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't same thing with, like, one. Kubrick. Um, I know Hitchcock at the time, I mean, the, the rating system was different in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. but his films would have been rated R if, if you would kind of, like, scale those films yeah. to the current environment. Um, so all that to say Christopher Nolan makes has been making for the past 15 years or so movies that are digestible by a wider ranging audience, which I think is an intentional decision because he wants more people to see the film, but also, um, they are heavy thematically Mm -hmm. uh, more often than not while still maintaining a, a very clean, Kind of like no blood, no language, um, just nothing that's kind of like a red flag for your mom kind of thing. But yeah. it, it tackles some heavy hitting issues that characters have to face and also um, some issues that he brings up about the world we live in and, and humanity. And it's like Dark Knight, dude. It's so dark thematically. I remember yeah, my dad telling me. Yeah, like I remember I my dad. It. Right, right, exactly. Like I remember my dad telling me when it came out, like, you know, don't mess with that. Like it's super dark and heavy. You know, obviously I have not listened to that advice, but, um, he makes movies like that, but they are, um, 
really digestible while their movies like made for like teenagers and up really like literally yeah. like pe- like it's they're not really made like you would think oh a movie about batman would be fine right. which i actually i did watch batman begins after it came out on dvd and then when the dark knight came out i'm like oh dad can i go see the dark knight and he's like like i remember it broke my heart when he told me he's like i don't know yep it's and it's brutal and i was like what yeah. it's batman yeah. Dad is Batman. <laughs> and I remember Batman Begins being a little bit tougher to digest for me at the time because it was just all about fear. And the whole concept of Scarecrow and, and that chaos. Movie. Oh, Batman Begins, you mean. Batman yeah. Begins, Sorry. yeah. Just, I mean, truly, like, he is facing his fears. It's about fear for Batman and fear for Gotham and what those two things look like scaled to fit their environment. Yeah. And Scarecrow was terrifying. Like, his whole gas thing like I, there's a scene with Maroney when he makes him go absolutely insane favorite scenes it, like that's crazy yeah that so I, I always say um uh you know and this goes into my my comic book roots and knowledge um anybody can identify this though the Dark Knight trilogy is the um it is the most ground it, it is if you put Batman in the real world Right, it, it, they don't. They, it's not very comic booky. There, there's some comic book aspects. Obviously, it's based on a comic book character, but from for the most part, you know, they take a very tangible and plausible version of Batman and his villains. You know, yep. like um, from the very beginning, you see like the League of Assassins. Like they're just people who just like they they're extremists, um, but they think what they're doing is right. You know, yep, um, kind of similar to. Th- they're very similar to Thanos in their regard. Like, oh, we got to burn down this entire thing for the the better of Gotham, right? Right. Um, and in the comics, they weren't the League of Assassins. They were the League of Shadows. And Ra's al Ghul, who was inevitably revealed to be played by Liam Neeson, fantastic casting. Oh, my yes. lord. Yes. So um, good as a villain. I love him. He's great. Um, and and they don't do the whole thing of like, oh, if he dies, he can go into the Lazarus pit and just Lazarus pit and just be revived. Like that was Ra's al Ghul's thing. It's like, oh, he just doesn't die. Like he just can't die. Right. Um, then you've got Scarecrow, who normally in the comics he's this guy with a scarecrow mask and a hat and like a literally dressed like a scarecrow and throws like fear bombs and all of this stuff. And they were like, well, this he's just a doctor and his toxin it induces people's greatest fears. It is literally like a psychedelic drug that yep. just, like destroys your mind. And he's like, he's just like a like a completely like realistic version of Scarecrow, and he's terrifying. He's so thing, like, terrifying. Joker, just this crazy guy you don't know anything about who is just causing chaos. Uh, Harvey Dent, like, oh my God, what a great version of Two Face. He didn't, he didn't drop his face into a vat, like a vat of acid, and lose mm-hmm. his mind. Same thing with Joker. He didn't like just like go crazy or whatever. Like he's just this dude who's just insane. Yep. And then, and then you've got Bane, who's just this hulking assassin guy. He doesn't like inject crap into his veins or whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you get the point. This, the entire franchise is meant to be grounded in reality, even from Batman's gadgets and whatnot. And that's what they mean from the tones and the, and the themes as well. And so, like you said, with Batman Begins, it's very thematically heavy with, with fear. Yep. Um, and like I, I would say each movie kind of has like a kind of has like an overarching theme. Um, and and they, oh man, God, I love that trilogy. I rewatched that trilogy uh, over. Like right when COVID uh, happened, it was like during technically our extended spring break. Right. Um, (laughs) 
That's funny. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, that. I remember like I watching the, all three of them and just being so emotionally invested because God, like, oh man. Uh, one thing I want to say about Christopher Nolan movies, he knows how to cast his yes. characters. His act, uh, he, he, I'll say, he tends to use the same actors. He loves his Tom Hardy. He likes Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He likes Michael Caine. My God, he loves Michael Caine. He loves Caine. himself some Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine has been in every freaking Christopher Nolan movie Except since one. Batman Begins. He's not in Dunkirk. He's not in Dunkirk. Well, he's not. I don't think he's in Memento or anything like that. So he's, right. I thought he was in Dunkirk. That's okay. Yeah, he's not but, in that one. But other than that, he's in everything since... Uh, is he going to be in Tenet? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's in. He loves Michael Caine. He yeah. just loves him. But can you blame him? I mean, Michael Caine. He's incredible. Is so good. Like, yeah. No wonder he, Chris Nolan's like, dude. I'm sorry. Like, you got it again. <laughs> yeah. But he, he picks just, actors that fit the role perfectly. I mean, they yeah. are a seamless fit. Like, there's no better example to me than Dunkirk because the probably the two main actors. Harry well, Styles. I'll say four, okay. four, four-ish main actors, right? Harry Styles, another British actor that I literally can't remember his name. I know who you're, talk- you're talking about. I know he's... Um, Let's put it uh, this way. Three of the four main actors in that movie, Tom Hardy aside, are people I cannot remember their name. And I only remember Harry Styles' name because of his music, not because of his acting. So, Cillian Murphy also. Cillian Murphy, him. he's in there. Minor role, though. Yeah, I, the guy you're thinking of is uh, Fionn Whitehead. That's he's right. actually he's a really really good actor. He is. He's a super good actor, and Nolan got eyes on him before like the mass public did. Cast mm. him in that movie, and he slayed it. Yes, like, so good in that role. But if you were to put him in a more dynamic role, I don't know if he would have filled it out quite as well. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think he's a Tom Hardy level actor or anything like that. Um, but they he picks actors that fit the roles that he's casting them for beautifully. Right. Such a good and he's a great actor's director. He does a really good job about act, letting actors play in the script that he's given them. Mm-hmm. He's willing to let them go back and forth on dialogue. Um he's not like a Tarantino where it's like what I've written is the bible. Um he's willing to work with people. He's very relaxed on set. And I love I love directors like that because like I think I was a uh, I was kind of not screaming through the void last week. But there's those parts where like you were talking about how you guys collabed on some films, and I remember like how Seth was saying that like you know he's not a very mean person, and he's not he's not at all. And I remember you guys are talking about some projects that didn't get done, and it was like well you know there was things that he wanted done his way, but there was also like he's a pretty flexible person. And I'm like yeah yeah like we all had a very synchro uh, Syncratic, vis- synchronous, no. uh, synchronous, or yeah, uh, yeah, uh, vision in um, in what we wanted for the the little ones that we did, and you guys were more than open to take in valid input. And when there was times that like, like I would say an idea, you're like, well, that probably doesn't fit as but And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Like that was a that was not a, the great idea. We did what was in the best interest of the story and the short film. Right. So I love that Christopher Nolan does that because you can clearly see it shine through and let, and let these actors kind of embody these characters in to what they see. Um, right. But he holds beautiful. He holds the respect of his actors in a way that they're not going to push him. Um, you know, some directors don't have that. Um, that presence on set mm-hmm. that's like 
oh my god that is so and so you know like yeah. if you go on set with christopher nolan it, it, this just doesn't happen but everybody there is like i'm working on a film with freaking christopher nolan like yeah. it's just such a badge of honor Mm-hmm. For everybody involved in the project. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people involved in making these movies come to reality. Right. He has that sway with everybody on set that's like, my God, I am in a freaking Nolan movie. Yeah. This is incredible. I'll be bragging about this for the rest of my life. I'll tell my grandkids I worked in this Nolan movie. So he already has that. Yeah. And then, you know, his actors are not like, I'm going to change everything. They've got that whole respect with him where if they sign on, then they know the movie's going to be good. They know they're going to be put in a position to quote-unquote win. Um, They're going to be put in a place where they can be their best self. And so it's just kind of like this. I know from reading and and watching behind-the-scenes featurettes and stuff like that, like the environments on his sets are so positive, so upbeat. Everybody is super stoked to be there. And there's just kind of like this genuine respect for everybody there that you know like we're all in this together there's Mm a um a community feel a big old family feel to his sets even though you know there's still things like he doesn't have chairs on sets he wants everybody to be standing um there's like the (laughs) like there's some quirks but i think everybody just kind of takes it like you know i equate it to bill belichick the coach of the patriots Mm -hmm. he has got some rules and it's not exactly the most fun place to play football. It's up in the cold in, you know, Massachusetts. It's kind of gross. But you go there knowing you're going to win because it's freaking Bill Belichick. He's perhaps <laughs> the greatest coach ever. And it's similar to Nolan. Like, if you yeah. show up on his set to shoot his movie, you know you're going to win. Like, there's just nothing that can go wrong. All you have to do is buy into his vision and he makes it really easy for you to do that. He doesn't make it difficult for you to see what he sees. And that's yeah. super incredible. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't know a whole lot about that in terms of like what his uh, directing style and the environments of his sets. That's like, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, clearly, cause he's, I, um, but the man hasn't had like a, hasn't gotten a bad rap on anything. Right. And um, it's interesting that you don't ever hear people talking crap about him after a movie comes out. You hear that about everybody. Like Tarantino, dude, people will say stuff about Tarantino, former actors of his, not like the serial ones, like a Samuel L. Jackson, you know, it's not the ones that are always in his movies, but ones who have worked with him before, they'll say stuff like, oh, he's this or that, or he's, you know. There's certain directors that I feel like, you know, sometimes I wonder why they are as famous as they are because they're like, sometimes they're just, jerks or you know kind of toxic or not very um kubrick yes that was one that people (laughs) kubrick Kubrick. i was i remember people did not like working with stanley kubrick no um not to say that he was like a bad guy but i'm sure i mean i'm sure he wasn't the easiest to work with because he's very very particular uh, particular yeah yeah and he would torment people it was not a happy jovial environment on his sets so yeah but that's that would be horrible because that's like the fun that's the fun part about making a movie to me is like the fun you're getting to have yeah while also being like you're you're working on something that's really fun and yeah you're, you're excited to share with people and and put your your best effort into um but uh but yeah i think um i think undoubtedly i don't think christopher nolan would be 
I don't want to say that, you know, to say this to undermine him or anything, but I don't think he'd be where he is at today without the Dark Knight trilogy. 100%. Because there's a reason on literally every movie that he comes out with from the director of the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar, yeah. Dunkirk, like all of these movies, you're just like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's all you had to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the guy who made the Dark Knight, the guy who made Interstellar, like, cool, I'm in. Right. Um, but uh, I feel like you should talk a little bit about The Prestige, which yeah. is a movie that I desperately, desperately want to see. And I will say I know a fair amount about because my dad, I remember a couple years back, just explained the entire plot to me at a time when I didn't care nearly as much about movies. But right. I have not seen it. However, you have. And you said that uh, I'll just let you explain. <laughs> yeah. So I think Prestige is the best movie Nolan has made thus far, which is saying quite a lot because you know he's made movies like the dark knight which nobody will say like no that's what i'm trying to say everybody loves that movie yeah um the dark, dark knight the rises greatest superhero movie of all time yeah full stop um dark knight rises is great inception is fantastic it's a lot of people's favorite nolan movie i think i'm pretty sure that's safe to In- say inception is one of my favorite movies of all time i yeah. freaking love that movie it's in my top 10 it's great um, Interstellar is slightly less loved, but still universally acclaimed. And they love space junkies adore it. Love it. it. Yeah. Um, and Dunkirk as well is a great movie. I love that movie. It's got a special place in my heart as well. But all of that being said, I think the prestige is the best of them all in my opinion. And it just kind of, it's, there's several reasons for it. And a couple of them are subjective. Um, one of them was, I think I just watched it at a perfect time. And I think timing plays a big role in how you perceive and experience a film. Um, when I watched Prestige, I was kind of in like a, a dull period in terms of movies that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a lot of uh, tour films, Terrence Malick movies, movies that are not entertaining. Um, and so I watched Prestige and... I was floored. Like, I watched it in my room, in my apartment, and then I immediately uh, took it straight out into the living room, and I made all my roommates watch it. Uh, <laughs> it was, I don't like the the whole concept is cool. It's two magicians at war with one another, trying to one up each other and get the greatest trick that you know the world has never seen before, and it mm. leads them down an absolute, you know, twisting uh, a path that just kind of goes straight downward. Like they do things that are ridiculous to try and one up each other. I mean, the stakes are so high by the end of the film to the point that one character and, you know, I I can't even say that because that kind of spoils the end of the movie. But the things that they do to one up each other are like above and beyond over the top they're mm-hmm. sacrificing their lives to one up each other and i know i know the aspects that you're talking about right now the, yeah. the parts that stand out to me yeah like it's when i when i realized that one part what was happening in order to make this trick happen i was floored like every trick in this movie is super cool the whole concept of the movie is a magic Basically, trick yeah, it's two rival magicians in what, like yeah. the late 1800s or something? Right. Yeah. Um, 
but the whole like the story is incredibly tight incredibly tight um there's details that you will miss if you're not paying attention and on top of it all michael kane does a um a vo in the beginning and in the end well not in the end it's yeah no it's a vo in the end um but he's explaining how a magic trick works and then the film follows a, a structure of a magic trick so there is a a pledge um Oh, what's the, there's, I, I remember two of the three parts. I can't remember the, the, the second one. Anyway, there's a pledge, there's a something else. And then there's a prestige, which is the kind of like the big reveal. Mm-hmm. And essentially Michael Caine explains how the trick works. He goes, there's the opening part where the magician kind of like does something and it's kind of like preparing you, priming you to expect something cool to happen. And then he... Um, does something that you think is the trick, but it's kind of like, meh. And then all of a sudden he completely pulls the rug out from under you. And then there's a prestige where what you think has been happening all along is completely altered and the trick is completed. Um, and the film follows that to a T there's, you know, the opening where you think, um, it's kind of like it's building up to, uh, to more, you know, it, it builds up to a climax essentially. And, and then you've got like, uh, a, a reveal of sorts that you think kind of just kind of launches you into, uh, more of the story. And then finally mm-hmm. there's a massive reveal that changes everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah. just as like, I it's, wish I it's didn't honestly, know that. I wish I didn't know that reveal. Oh uh, dude, you can't watch that movie and know the reveal because it ruins it, but it's oh, I, the I'm best. I'm going to know the entire thing that like, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I understand. Now. Yeah, no, when <laughs> I watched it, I was like, oh my God. Like I was floored. It's the yeah. best uh, plot twist ever. And that's subjective. Ever. ever. No, the best twa- plot twist movie is in the movie Us. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. God. Okay. By the way, random thing. Just want to interject. Last week, you guys were like, you were talking about Jordan Peele movies, and you guys were saying like you talked about Get Out, and you were like you were being like so positive, and I'm like, dude, you don't like Get Out. You don't like Us. Why did you? Why are you? I saying do all like that? Get Out. I don't like Us at all. Um, I like Get Out. And also, we're trying to be objective about that movie because it's very culturally significant. And so, for yeah. that film, we're trying to. Re- but like, I mean, to be fair, Seth ourselves. said something. And you were like, and you were like, also with us, and you went, yeah. And I was like, what? Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah. In terms of like, you said like that the scripts are very tight, and I was like, you definitely don't think that us is tight. <laughs> Us's script is tight. I just don't like it. Fair. Um, okay. Fair. I think anyway. Uh, yeah, the way it's structured, it is very tight. It's very. Uh, there's no fat in, in either yeah. movie. I just don't like the, the decisions that were made in us. But Understandable. Understandable. That's, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. Besides <laughs> the point, not Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, um, and you got me real hyped for the prestige right now. Like, I'm straight yeah. up about to, like, just find this movie on Amazon and just order it if I'm not, if I I've, wasn't broke. I'm pretty sure I watched it on Netflix, but I think it's been about a year since it's been on Netflix. Yeah. It's not on any streaming services I've looked. That's a big bummer. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's probably one of those movies that I'm like, I'm not going to regret buying it. Like, <laughs> it's just like, it's an experience and every Nolan movie is this way, but you're so involved. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I watched that movie, it was a true experience and not many movies are that way where it's the whole time. Like, it's just interesting things. Um, 
it's it's so fast paced. Um, the character work is really really good, and, and then it just kind of builds up to this magnificent reveal that maybe I'm dumb, but I did not see it coming at all. I know some people have been like, oh yeah, I kind of figured that out, but I was like, what? Like Dude, when people <laughs> okay, when people on? say they figure out plot twists before it happens, it it always makes me feel so stupid because I'm just like, no, I'm right. like, you're such a big fat douche. Like shut yeah. up. <laughs> I'm like, let me enjoy this, okay? Like, right. Let me have my what, happy moment. That was what happened with us. I remember people were like, oh, I saw that coming a mile away, and I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Guess I'm just stupid. Right. No, but um. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited to watch the Prestige. Uh, you're you're selling you're setting the bar very high. If it's not if it's not even close to if it's if it's even a slight bit underneath what you say how good it is, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to help you there, I'm but kidding. It's, I'm kidding. It's I'm kidding. every bit as good as I say it is. And if no. you don't think so, you're a douche. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was it? So we've gone through uh, the following, Memento, Insomnia, which not really because we haven't seen it. So right. there's not much we can say other than it's the most underrated one. Batman Begins, uh, now the Prestige, Prestige. and then uh, now we have the Dark Knight Inception. Can we just uh, can we talk about Inception? Just we can. How, like I just. I think this is the movie that, like, I... God. I remember watching this movie and just being like, this movie is so entertaining. Right. Right? Like, it is, it's so entertaining. It's not... I don't... I can't say it's his best. Because, I mean, because I would say best is definitely relative in terms of, like, what all you see. It could be... I don't know if it's objectively it's best, but, like, it's one of my favorites for sure. Because the concept, like I said, is so original. This idea mm-hmm. of going into people's dreams and the entire plot. It's like a heist movie, but it's not them stealing anything. It's, the, it's that they're trying to plant an idea in someone's head. Right. It's not have, they are thieves, but they don't steal anything. They leave things for other people. It's like a thief right. that goes into your house and leaves you with like a lamp and then leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and the best thing, like, so oh God, there's so much I could say about this movie. Like, so he was coming off the heels of the dark Knight, Right. Like, and so this movie comes out and it was a, like it, what did it come out? 2010, uh, 2010. Yeah. It undoubtedly set the, the bar so high for that, for the, the tens, the 2010s, that mm-hmm. decade. They're like, Oh my God, we got a heavy hitter right now. Yep. Um, a lot of people have definitely seen Inception, and I've actually heard a lot more recently that people don't like Inception, which I, which just what? is very hard what for is, me to believe. Why do people not like it? Like, what's the reason for it? I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you because I feel like anybody would like Inception. Um, it's not even like it. It might just the, be the Nolan arcs, fatigue. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I would say though, the character arcs are phenomenal. Leonardo DiCaprio, once again, just what an actor. Yeah. But you have also these other really incredible actors um you've got ellen page who i think is really good in that movie you've yep. got tom hardy in his first nolan movie which is probably why he came in the dark knight rises yep joseph gordon levitt also appears in the dark knight rises you've got michael kane um cillian murphy also already he's cillian murphy is in freaking all of his movies i swear that's another character like another actor that he just loves and i love cillian murphy i he's can't say super enough dynamic. great things about him yeah. oh yeah um and God, who am I? There's a who is the um, 
he's the I don't want to I don't want to be like incorrect and say that he, I think he's an Indian actor. Or yeah, I know who you're talking actor. about, and I don't remember his name. Um, I'm gonna look him up real quick um, because I don't want to get this. Uh, I don't. I want to give him his due uh, credit. Um, let's see, and he's a he's really good too. Uh, his name is uh, Dilip Rao. He plays Yusuf, and he's. It says he's an American actor. I don't know where he, I don't know what his uh, actual <laughs> ethnicity is, but um, he plays a British yeah, guy that. in the in in the movie. But yeah. um, he he's really good. I love him. Um, it, and it's like this ensemble movie that I think is really really well done. Um, and oh, Ken Want or uh, Watanabe, Ken Watanabe dude. dude. I love he's him. He's such a also, good actor. The Last Samurai. The- oh my God, he's so good in that movie. Yeah, he is in that movie. Oh my gosh, I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah dude, he's real good. Um, but they do this awesome, just like formulaic heist thing while also kind of interjecting uh, Cobb's um, yep. kind of past trauma, um, which is a huge part of the movie. And dude, I think probably one of the coolest things... Uh, about this movie and one of the best things that helps it is Hans Zimmer's score which we yes. haven't even really touched upon but God Nolan and Zimmer they are a power like I don't want to say almost power feel like couple. a package deal but they're Dude, not yes you know which I mean which is crazy to say because like you said uh, or like you mentioned in the last week's episode and I'm, I'm very proud of you for remembering this that in Tenet it, it will not be Hans Zimmer because it's be Hans- Ludwig Göransson yes Hopefully I said that right. Um, and yes, you did. You actually nailed it. Fantastic. Um, I've been practicing. And yeah, he did the Creed. Um, he Black did Panther. the Mandalorian, Black Panther, um, all of this stuff. But yeah, man, but Hans Zimmer's think, score is so good. Right. And it's almost Time. like a, a a trait of Nolan's to have. He, he has nonlinear storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. He also has great scores in every movie. Um, I literally can't think. They give you chills. They will make you right. cry on your car ride, on your commute. <laughs> it's movies like you remember the score almost synonymous with the film. And maybe Prestige isn't so much that way, but The Dark Knight. Like, the score is iconic. Interstellar. Th- the score is their, iconic. Did their, um, what do you call it? I want to their, uh, their duo, their, their, <laughs> what is it? Their team ups start with Batman Begins. I want to say yes, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Yeah, um, I, I want to say it is. I think the studio signed Hans Zimmer on, and it was not like a Nolan decision. I could yeah. be wrong. Oh, there. I'm sure. And I think this. Like, I think it was Warner Brothers <laughs> got Zimmer for the film, and then they just continued working together afterward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, and hey, they... That's, that's like the first example of a studio decision going right. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because The Prestige was done... So, uh, originally, uh, Christopher Nolan loved this... Uh, they, I would say, they teamed up with this guy named David Julian, who also, he did for Memento, <clears throat> he did Prestige. Yep. Um, and then and then now him and Christopher Nolan are, are kind of a package deal. But, yeah, it's a character in and of itself, and it's yep. put... Um, Hans Zimmer on the map. I'll never forget when I was in a, I was writing a speech about, um, about fame. I was writing a speech on like composers. 
mm-hmm. and the power like of music in, in film or something like that. Yep. And I remember my teacher was like, Hans Zimmer, who like who like he that was one of his criticisms, and I was like, I'm sorry, but you're just an old man. Like you're you, dumb. Like, I'm like, I'm like, that's just that's just you. That's a you problem, not a. That is a g- personal problem. How can you like? He's it's not just a Nolan thing. He's done everything. Because I compared him. Because I was saying, I mean, I was like, I was comparing how um, Hans Zimmer was kind of like the new John Williams. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Not to say that like he's similar to John Williams because John Williams is very you know makes these heroic scores and these very yep. very emotional scores that are that are a lot more um, I would say higher key where where Hans Zimmer makes more epic and yeah. um, and like synthy and, and, and oh yes yeah um, he makes uh, they have a very characteristic sound a lot of mm-hmm. them. Um, I would just but, say they're epic. <laughs> yeah, they're. I mean, they're epic, but it's like they're almost a little bit more than that. Like, it's the the strings. Um, he brings out so much. Like the Dark Knight trilogy is all strings and drums. And the piano. Like, yeah, and he did piano a lot in. Um, well, he did an organ in Interstellar, which is mm-hmm. like the most incredible thing, dude, on so planet good. Earth. Yeah, he did a lot of piano in Inception. Yeah. Um, Dunkirk was. Uh, that was all strings. I was about um, to say that sounds like a strings movie for sure. Yeah, um, he uses strings a lot for his intense stuff, mm-hmm. um, strings and drum combo, and then for his more like, uh, I don't know, like more emotional things. He'll do piano uh, and and organ, which I think they they lend themselves to those moods really well. But yeah, yeah I mean, he's got a very characteristic sound. Like I remember he did uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And and that was like a new sound for him almost. And everybody was like, "Oh yeah, it's Hans Zimmer. It's Hans Zimmer's classic sound." And it was just <laughs> that, but just synth. Like yeah, it it's was like a thing that you just you you don't really hear it, you feel it. Right. Um, One hundred. Yes. Like it just fits the mood so much. It just kind of like hits you right in your feel spot, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, like yeah. give me more." <laughs> like yeah. just so good. I've gotten some ads for Hans Zimmer's master classes, and I was like. I'm not a composer. Like I, yeah. I couldn't tell you the the like I am no expert on music or film scores or anything like that. But I would pay money to watch Hans Zimmer's masterclass because the way he was talking, describing things, I was like, oh, from a filmmaking perspective, like I love this. Like right. he is just like he gets it. Like he, he gets understands it from a deeper mood. level than music. Yeah, right. he understands mood so well, and he's able to take a mood and attach a sound to it. Yeah. And I, yeah. it's probably just a God-given gift that he's able to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just don't know how, I don't know how composing works. I don't know the fundamentals of it or the techniques of it necessarily. I don't know how you blend a mood in a screen to a sound. But mm-hmm. he, when God was making some composers, he was like, all right, yeah. and you're going to get a little extra. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting so- more. Wait, I remember there was a detail that Keenan had told me on one of our Comic Blast episodes that apparently for the sound in The Dark Knight, um, which is a very iconic sound in terms of scenes with Joker, and it, mm-hmm. it builds a lot of tension, he literally got a razor blade and went against, uh, I want to say, a violin. And that sound that you hear, and then they kind of pitched it up a little bit, mm-hmm. the sound that uh, you can recognize it in the um, the beginning of... The Dark Knight, when it's like it just the movie starts and you just kind of hear like that, that almost uh, I, I describe it as very oppressive and kind yeah. of like just like neck 
uh, tension, and it's just kind of like that, mm, like that just continuous yep. sound, yep. and you're just like, ooh, like this kind of. It's like it's not like as bad as nails on a chalkboard, but it just kind of. But it feels is like kind that. of a t- it like attacks you a little bit. Yeah, it gets in your like, face. Right, and it's just this kind of menacing, looming. Yep. yep. Um, it's like that plus electric guitars and drums. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, he he does a great job in in those movies as well. But uh, but yeah, back to Inception. Um, that's that's one that I think I would say added a lot to Christopher Nolan's um repertoire for creating actually more honestly more science fictiony. Yeah, um, I think it was it was essentially where he took the heist archetype. It was basically Ocean's Eleven, um, Italian Job, that kind of film. And he was mm-hmm. like, all right, let's add a dab of sci-fi, a dab of nonlinear storytelling in there because we got like different levels of dreams and like mm-hmm. time going at different paces and things like that. And also on top of all, all of everything else, we're going to have an idea that's just so outlandish that it almost can't be bad. So sick, though. Yeah. Like... A lot of times, um, storytellers will say, an idea does not make the writer, which is true. Just because you've got a great winning idea does not mean the story's going to be good. Mm-hmm. But Inception, like, it can't be bad with an idea like that. I mean, unless yeah. you really suck, which Nolan oh, it does definitely not. definitely could have been bad, but Nolan knew what he was doing. Right. Um, and, man, the, the, the fact that, he, like, he, he came up with that idea is, is It's so cool. Nuts. Like, how uh, do you, like, just the idea of going into somebody's dream and making them think something else. I wonder yeah. where that what if came from. Because I'm sure it started yeah. if it was like, well, what if somebody could go into somebody else's dreams and plant ideas? Yeah. Well, I'm sure it just started off with like, what if you could just share dreams with someone? Like, what right. if you could go like, into somebody else's dream? Like, where like, does that come from? Like, the idea of like you can be the architect of your dreams, and that like they that that's one of the key roles is like actually being in control of it and not letting yeah. like you know your emotions or things go crazy. Like you have to be very center point. And then God, the the totems is such a unique thing of like everybody has their a little tether. totem. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh man, like I want I want a totem. Like, I ripped I that have, idea for my book. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to figure out a way to fit that in. And like, I have characters that have, I call them a tether. So it's not the same yeah. thing, but it's, it like roots them to reality a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. Um, so I have one question for you and then we're kind of speed along through, uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk before yeah. we, uh, uh, we, we probably wrap it up, but what would you make your totem? In terms of like inception, like it has to be yes. some kind of like what, spinning what was, or interminable what, what object. Is, yeah. What is your unique item that has its own, the weight that it, that only you know and that only you could touch and it does something that allows you to, to stay in, like to allow you to realize if you're in reality or not. Better yet, what would yours be? Because I got to think about that. That's a tough question. Um. Yeah, I've thought about it before, um, what mine would be, and I've kind of like come up with a couple of different ideas. One that just came to mind, because I think it would be incredibly unique, would be a yo-yo. That would be cool. I I think it'd be cool to be like, only I know, like I can flick it down, bring it back up, and I know the exact speed, exact weight, it'll do the same thing every time, like that's how I know it's mine, and and mine alone. And I don't even have a yo-yo, but I think it'd be cool to have a yo-yo. That would be cool. 
Um, I don't know. It might be derivative, but I feel like the chess piece is so cool. Yeah. Um, Do you have like, I feel like also a dice would be cool. Yeah, like, and I think that's also in the movie. I would say dice. It, yeah, I don't remember who's is got it, it. Oh, it, I think it's um, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. He has a dice. Okay, somebody's got a uh, chess piece in there, and I can't that's remember. That's Ellen it Page's is. character. She right. creates. She, she has a knight, piece. and she like she knocks it over. She flicks it over, and she knows it. And, and he, there's a part. I love the part where he's like, "Can I see your totem?" And he goes, "Ah," and he's like, "Good, you're learning." I like that. Yeah. Um, Another one that I think would be cool is to kind of have a, uh, a like a butterfly knife or just like a knife in general, like to flick okay. between your fingers and you know yeah. like the exact like what. That's the whole thing about it is like only you know what it feels like. And right. so that's how you know. So if you had like a butterfly knife that you could like flip around or whatever, yeah, that would just be cool. I might like, have like a watch or something or no, not a watch, a, um, a pocket watch. On I was a about chain. to say a pocket watch would be cool. Yeah, it'd be a pocket watch, not a yeah. chess piece. It'd be a pocket watch. All right, we're going to make an Inception spinoff movie uh, where we have our own totems. <laughs> that oh, would actually man. be sick, though, if there was like a, like an Inception spinoff movie where it was like a, another idea with like the dreams, but nece- maybe not necessarily a heist, but maybe like a... Um, I could see, I could see it, that entire idea causing some, some chaos in the world. Right. Um, I think if you extra- extrapolated the whole thing where it's like you can get in somebody else's head like you could have a a psychological thriller with that oh yeah um you could go like full-blown invisible man style with that where it's like somebody's messing with you and you don't know they're there almost that sounds like freddy krueger a little bit yeah i mean yeah i I see where you're going with that i mean he just murders people in their dreams but it's very much like a like a the terror of of someone being in your dreams yeah it'd be a little Um, less like you're a lot more vulnerable. Goofy. I know it's not Freddy Krueger's not goofy, but like Freddy Krueger didn't start off as entirely goofy. And I remember that there's like a trailer of like one of the more modern reboots that came out that didn't end up being very good. But I remember it made me nearly pee my pants because I was so scared. I was like, it got really slashery. You know? Yeah. Oh, I love slashers. I, I love slashers. Them. Really? I don't like slashers. Maybe that's why I like the guests so much. <laughs> I like that movie too, but like it, it's not a slasher. It I mean, is. there's more to it than just, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. True. I love Halloween. Anyway, we'll do an episode on slashers one day or something. <laughs> oh, or God. Halloween, Or maybe horror movies, because I love horror movies. But We um, could totally do that. Dude, that tweet today, though, from, her, like, the hereditary thing is, like, what if this was your view outside your window dude, while watching Dude, I was dishes? like, <laughs> oh, it took me a second. So, um, I was like, what? If you're still listening, thank you so much. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> We both saw a tweet today that one of our friends tweeted out where it was a kitchen counter and it was this very nice kitchen and then it was a full length <laughs> window and through the window you saw a driveway and the tree house from Hereditary where they worship Satan. Yeah, Paimon. And yeah, whatever his name is. And I did not realize what it was at first because there's <laughs> nobody there. There's no people. It's just the tree house with the light on inside. Like, and I was what? like, okay, I don't get it. And then I was like, Oh crap! That's the treehouse <laughs> from Hereditary, and I was like, absolutely not. I think I tweeted something like "hard pass," but I was like, yeah, uh-uh, yeah. like get me out. And then somebody yeah. else was like, "Midsummer, let's do a." And I was like, yeah, okay, you're too late to the party, bud. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was it was so subtle, and I was like, this is going, to, this is viral. Like, yeah, that's whoa. funny. Anyway, um, anyway, yeah, okay, so let's uh, let's speed along through. Just yeah, let's your... get into 
uh, what is it? Interstellar came out next? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about Interstellar, but uh, yeah. Interstellar and Dunkirk, I feel like these are probably your domain because it's been a long time since I've seen Interstellar. I have very minute uh, information in my mind about it. And then Dunkirk, I have yet to see. You've not seen Dunkirk? No. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> we're going to pretend he didn't say that. Uh, everybody else who's still listening is cursing you inwardly because that is a travesty. So, Interstellar is very, very, very good. And I think for everybody else, <laughs> I know that's a great, great intro. It's great. Fantastic. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I think for everybody else, Interstellar would be their best movie. And People love Interstellar. And I'm like, yeah. hey, more power to you. I'm I thought it was really people. good. I think it's kind of like you either love Interstellar more or you love Inception more. I do find that. And I think it's probably because they came out at a similar time and they were both blockbusters and it was just kind of like super entertaining, made a lot of money. I don't know. And they've got the, the they both start with an I, like Interstellar, <laughs> Inception. I, mean, I, I think in. they just kind of get lumped together and they're very different. So I don't know why, but yeah. Um, well, they, they introduced these crazy mon, mind bending ideas. ideas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, do not watch this movie at 3 a.m. for the first time, which right. is what I did with Interstellar. And I'm like, yeah, the first time I watched Interstellar, I I was like, uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> it just didn't quite click. I, I've I since there seen like, it several times. I sat there like eating the leftover of my popcorn, looking at the screen of the credits, like, uh, yeah, like you could just feel your it. brain, <laughs> right? Like you could feel your brain just being like, I'm trying to figure that one out. It eventually, it clicked where I was like, okay, so like a fifth dimension yeah like yeah instead of time and space there's also like like what was the what is that what it is it's like some uh, it's time know, and whatever. space yeah yeah but i think for just about 95 percent of everybody else every other director it would be their best movie i'd say like for ryan johnson like knives out and interstellar are pretty much neck and neck uh for damien chazelle i know la la land is great but i think interstellar is Wh- right there Oh, I thought you were saying, inter- dude. Uh, Whiplash, Whiplash is really good. It's it's Whiplash not like better, it's... Whiplash is better than La La Land. That's what I'm saying. Okay, uh, I would like, say Whiplash is tied with Interstellar. We'll say right. That. So like they're tied, and you know Denis Villeneuve, he's made fantastic movies. We've talked about it at length. Arrival, Blade Runner, 2049. Like I feel like they're in similar territory. And Arrival Interstellar, Interstellar is there. Me, yeah. So. So, are you saying that objectively Interstellar is his best movie? No. Here's what I'm okay. saying. That Interstellar would be, for just about everybody else, their best movie. And for Nolan, it's like his fourth. Give me your rankings on Nolan movies. Okay. So, I would probably go... With uh, the ones you know. Yeah. The, I'd go The Prestige, number one. I'd probably go uh, Dark Knight, number two. Then I might go Inception, and then probably Dunkirk, and then Interstellar. Interstellar's number five. And it might be The Dark Knight Rises is higher on that list for me than Interstellar. But it's kind of like, I don't know, like it's really tough to kind of put one above the other. But it's like his fourth or fifth best movie, in my opinion. I think other people would probably want to argue with me about that. It's very near and dear to people's hearts. Right. And those movies, I think, are somewhat subjective. Like, you can move them up and down, and nobody's going to think you're dumb. But um, it's like ranking like the greatest children of all time. It's right. just like uh, it says all your babies. It's picking but they are between all your like, children. It's like which one yeah. do you like more? And you can't. So yeah, 
it's a tough decision and I totally understand that, you know, people have their own opinions about it, but interstellar would be for most everybody else in Hollywood, like their first or second best movie. And it's like Nolan's fourth or fifth. And so that's just to kind of further the point that he's so successful. Every movie he does is really, really, really good. Great screenplay yet again. Right. And he's got a brilliant idea in it. He executes, like, the thing that makes that movie so cool, it's not the idea, because the idea itself is kind of probably done a lot. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, like, the, kind of like the extrapolation of, well, if you went to space and time is different in space, how would that affect? theory of relativity. Yeah, it's a theory of relativity extrapolated into a movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, If you were to, you know, the idea is cool, but it's the way he figured out how to execute it that makes it really interesting because he figured out how to make a black hole that's mathematically plausible in a movie. And that is super dope because he's, he is like the realist director. He tries to make things as plausible as possible. And this whole movie about the theory of relativity, which is almost like this myth or, I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a real thing, but it's just so like, meta that regular Mm. people just don't understand it myself included i don't even really understand how it works but he took that idea (laughs) and he applied it in a way that could conceivably happen like scientists were saying i mean i don't know exactly what all this is gonna look like in real life i don't know exactly how a black hole would interact with other objects i don't know what other planets would look like and feel like but i mean that makes sense like it's plausible. Yeah. And that is super, super cool that he was able to do that. Um, the story is really, I mean, it's maybe because all of his other ones are really great. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird thing where if you're ranking his movies, I would not say it's a cooler idea or a better story or character work or anything like that than several of his other ones. Mm-hmm. But it's still really, really well done, and it's kind of hard to have that distinction between between the two. Um, it's really hard to say a movie is kind of meh for one director and say it's really great for everybody else. Yeah, like that's a I tough. Mean, I think it's also. I think it's also just personal preference. But yeah, for me, it's not. It like, definitely does play into it. It's up to. It's also. It's just. Yeah, it's up to taste because like yeah. it's one of my favorite like favorite movies of all time. Yeah, um, and I would definitely like, put it like up there i know yeah. like letterboxd and imdb they don't have it in their top 100 um wow. but if i were making a subjective list it would make my top 100 um and that's not not, not like the best movies ever made but just the ones i enjoyed the most mm-hmm. it's 100 percent in my top 100 it probably is in my top 50 yeah. um because it's super enjoyable and once you figure out and you have to watch it multiple times you can't just watch it once and be like yeah i'm good you have to see it several times to fully understand it because yeah. it truly is difficult to grasp. And that might be the one knock on it. It's not super easy to grasp on first viewing. I know I had to kind of like sit there and be like, oh, my brain hurts. Um, <laughs> the yeah. ideas in there are super complex, which is, you know, part of the magnificence of it is that he figured out a way to plausibly explain them. And, you know, it, it's got like a 90 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I know people shouldn't put a ton of stock in Rotten Tomatoes, but 
it's worth something. Like it's a great oh, yeah. movie. And um I don't know, man. Matt Damon's in it. He's incredible. Um Yeah. Surprise. That the sure. whole like anti villain thing going on there where I dig it. Yeah, su- super cool. Um Matthew McConaughey in there. The the connection between him and his daughter is a really, really good relationship. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's, it's really, a big crutch of the movie. Right. It's really like they even look like one another later. Um his daughter Murph wears Jessica Chastain. Yeah, Jessica Chastain. Her character wears his jacket after he leaves. Um it's just like Casey Affleck. Yeah. And he's Another a Mike. really slept on actor. That dude is incredible. Yeah, dude. I, I need to watch Manchester by the Sea. Oh um, my god. It will it's depressing, but it's incredible. Yeah, I, so I uh, there's like this whole like there's a film side of TikTok which is really cool because they make these awesome like people like talking about their favorite films and whatnot, and that was one that I, there was a scene that was like, oh man, like it was talking about movies that were yeah. very like emotionally like oh that, it's emotionally like, draining. And one movie I am once. dude. There is one movie I am dying to see. Like I literally like I would give up food for a day if I could just watch this movie like so, like on some like live like some. It's freaking like I just take a, a nap. So don't worry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just sleep to the day. Uh, I'm curious. But, uh, Brothers with Tobey Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie Portman. I want to see this movie so freaking badly. I don't even think I've heard of that. Dude. Oh my god. There's scenes in that movie that I'm like, I like. I know like what it's overall about. Basically, it's about these. Uh, these brothers that like they fought in Iraq and hmm. the kind of dealing with like the aftermath of like PTSD and stuff. And it is tense, dude. Like there are scenes that I've seen that I'm like, to- like Tobey Maguire is like freaking just killing it in his yeah. performance. Like Adam Driver marriage story levels of of craziness. Anyway, I was about. Um, I thought you were about to say that's the one with Tobey Maguire and uh, Adam Driver where he's like, I just had sex and I'm eating tacos. Best day of my life. No, it's nachos. No, it's, it's nachos. Like, yes. And it's also that was also Daniel Daniel Radcliffe. But anyway, yeah. Oh frick! No time wire. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I get. Yeah. Well, unless all right. you whatever you're about to say is about to ruin it. <laughs> all right. Well, I love Adam Driver. Love Adam Driver. Anyway, yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, we are at like an hour and twenty minutes. You we should, are uh, just. You should talk about Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Um, Dunkirk like, is very. I hate to say slow because it's not slow, but the concept of the movie compared to other Nolan movies is very much like D plus Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just, it's a very simple concept. It is 300,000 men have to get from point A to point B. How are they going to get there? That's it. And it just follows the story of uh, one character, a Fionn Whitehead. And... (laughs) And uh, it just kind of like follows him trying uh, to get out of France and to England. And um, it it does it in an interesting way. It brings out the nonlinear storytelling, which I think absent this concept, the movie would not be any good. Because it's just, on concept alone, it's very meh. Mm -hmm. But the way it's told makes it super interesting and super tense. It's it's such a tense movie. but he, he tells the story in three different places. He tells it from the dock called the Mole, where it's like a staging area for all the troops. He tells it from the sea, where there are a group of uh, 
weekend uh, sailors that are taking their personal boat down to retrieve soldiers uh, across the English Channel. And it's also told in the air via um, uh, members of the Royal Air Force and how they're like trying to pick off German fighters and, you know, protect the, the sailors going to get their army back. And um, there's conflict in each place, which is why it's cool because Nolan in like the editing makes the movie. I think it's like the way the story's told and the editing just make the movie great. Cause otherwise like there's just not a ton there to work with and it's beautiful. Mm. Like there's some great shots in it. The music is fantastic. Um, but it's, it's truly the editing that makes it really cool because as soon as a tense moment comes up in one place, we cut to the other and then it builds up to a tense moment in that place and we cut back to the other one. And so then there's falling action from that previous tense moment in each place in each cut back. And then it builds up again to another tense moment and then it cuts to a different place. So you'll go from the mole, it builds up to a tense moment and then it cuts to the sea. And then the sea we have like, it's slow, slow, slow. And then it builds up. And then we cut from the sea to the air and then the air, it's kind of slow for a minute and then it builds up with tension and then it cuts back to the mole and it does that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we have our conclusion at the end of the movie. And so there's constant tension throughout the movie and it's like two hours and what, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. And in order to create that tension, like there has to be constant cutting in between all the different storylines and it's really really well done like it is probably the best that story could have been told um and it's it's very entertaining which is really kind of like and that's achievement in and of itself like it is truly just kind of like a really boring idea Mm -hmm. and and i i don't know exactly what prompted him to make that but I mean, the idea that 300,000 English soldiers got home when the German army is right behind them. I mean, that's really cool. But in actual execution, like, how do you make that story come to life? And, and how do you create characters that you're actually going to want to care about? And, you know, how do you make it work? Mm-hmm. That part of it is kind of like, man, I mean, they were there. They about died. Boat showed up. They got home. Like, that's just it, you know? And, and the way he told the story really made it interesting and really made it um, a special movie. And the combination of like, there are some frames in that movie, some images in that movie that are so beautiful. I think about the, uh, the beached warplane at the very end and, and Tom Hardy is like thrown a flare into the cockpit and it's on fire and German soldiers are pouring down um, the little overlook in front of him and he's just standing there waiting for him. It's one of the best images ever like it's I've just seen that shot, beautiful yeah. that shot is beautiful um it's shot on i want to say 65 millimeter film mm-hmm. um and that's one thing we haven't talked about but nolan shoots all his movies on film yeah which uh is an anomaly i i don't know that everybody realizes that that's an anomaly but that is 100 an anomaly he's a film purist he shoots all his movies on film He's a big fan of the theatrical experience um, as evidenced by Tenet. Like if he didn't care so much about the theater, he would have released it on a streaming platform already. But he wants people to see it in theaters. But there is something. Yeah, he wants that experience that you get in the theater that you can't really get anywhere else. Um, So, yeah, he shot Dunkirk on a combination of 
Oh my gosh! If Seth were here, he would just spout it off because he just knows this crap. But it, I think it yes, was sixty. It would think it was sixty-five millimeter film, and then also there was some. Oh freak! I can't remember what it was. Anyway, um, I saw it. Maybe it was seventy millimeter. I think I saw it in seventy. So mm-hmm. it, there's there's seventy and sixty-five in there somewhere. Um, but it's it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Um, I think if you haven't seen it, 100% watch it. And that goes for every Nolan movie. I don't think there is any one that I wouldn't recommend. Um, they're all good. And, and that kind of makes him unique in his own right. What, so, um, to end it kind of all, what, what would you say is the, the definitive Christopher Nolan movie that I, that if you could watch one movie of his, what would be the choice? Do you mean one movie that kind of is like your best introduction to Christopher Nolan or just one movie that I could take and none of the others existed? Um, the former. So the introduction to Nolan, the best one? Mm-hmm. Probably Inception. I agree. Yeah. That's what I was going to say as well. I'd say I'd say it would either be between... Inception, Dark Knight, or Interstellar. Those seem to be his... Yeah. I would say those are... I, I think those are, in terms of the grand scheme of things, his his num- like his top three to kind of get an idea of like what his movies are like. Yeah. But I'd say Inception is probably his most profound, entertaining, and just it's a great starting point, I would um, I'd yeah. say for him. But if so. I could have one and forsake all the others, it'd be The Dark Knight. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry. I, I think like, there's like different... Yeah, Inception very much symbolizes what a Nolan movie is. Uh, it kind of symbolizes the uniqueness and the the form of storytelling that is unique to him. Um, but I think it's really you, tough you to parse. If you didn't have The Dark Knight, you wouldn't have Heath Ledger's Joker. And right. Do you even want to live in that world? Right. No, I don't. Like, it's just there's so much about The Dark Knight that is fantastic. Like, yeah. the whole oh god it's so good yeah. like we could have gone on an entire episode about the dark knight but we we'll could. spare you the details we'll spare you all that um so yeah that's dunkirk is the most recent release of christopher nolan's tenet is gonna come out hopefully this year um we'll see <laughs> i'm not holding my breath at this point yeah i i don't know where it would rank in the pantheon of nolan movies i cannot jump to conclusions but i can say it's not think- gonna suck I think it's going to be very, very high. I'm expecting I, a Inception-esque film. Same. I think this is kind of another type of Inception movie. Yeah. And that's what makes me very excited about it. You've got Robert Pattinson. You've got uh, John David Washington. You've got Kenneth Branagh. Um, yeah, it's going to be good, man. Sorry about the abrupt end. We experienced some technical difficulties here at the end of that episode, but... Uh, you didn't miss anything. We were pretty much wrapped up anyway. Um, so thank you for listening and, and watching to this uh, video podcast of Rising Action. It's the first one we've done. Uh, let us know here in the comments below if that's something you enjoy, and we'll continue putting those out for you. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at risingaction underscore, where we put out more expanded content about storytelling, uh, movies, and, and things that we're into like that. Uh, we love it when uh, you interact with us there on Instagram. Also, be sure to leave a review of Rising Action on Apple Podcasts. Um, it 
It means the world to us. Leave us a rating. It helps other people listen to the podcast. That's part of how Apple spreads out uh, and chooses what podcasts it wants people to listen to. So be sure to do that. That means the absolute world to us. Thank you for listening and watching, and we will see you next week.